So Jim Jamiro has had an illustrious career in the entertainment business. He created the Disney Channel. Jim, what sparked your interest in music, and in particular, the, the, the songs from, from that, that great American songbook period? Two of my classmates were talking to each other, and one asked another about a song. And the other person says, don't, I don't know, ask Jim, he'll know. Who are you? And where are you going? What do you want? Together we'll find the ideal path on the Way to Wow Show with your host, Kevin Bemmel. Should you pursue a deep passion you have for your career? Our guest this week, Jim Jamiro, would say yes. He did it successfully, and he's going to talk to us about how you might be able to do the same thing. But first, I'm gonna go over here and talk to Philip about mixing up a cocktail. All right. What are you doing for us this week? So uh, we're gonna be making a cocktail named after a Broadway play from 1917 called Up in Mabel's Room. Uh, okay. It's very similar to a brown derby in that it uses whiskey, grapefruit, and honey. Oh. Um, so we'll start that here. Uh, unlike the brown derby, the Mabel's Room calls for rye. So oh, we're gonna okay, do an great. ounce and a half of rye. Excellent. Well, a, a cocktail based on theater sounds like the perfect thing for this session with Jim. You know what, let's, um, let's mix up a couple of extra ones so we can share them with the crew, because I think they'll really like this. Sure, yeah, I knew Spicy you would say rye that. rye and grapefruit too. Yeah, I knew you would say that, so I already prepared a second oh, uh, shaker okay. for you. you. Yeah. See? We just don't want to get them too blitzed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So back in the 1910s, a lot of Broadway plays uh, had cocktails. So patrons would enjoy a cocktail before or before and during the show, so it's nothing. Oh wow! Like we think oh, now. I thought you meant on stage they would oh, have, no. but you're talking <laughs> yeah. the people watching the show. Mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> well, so, so, no wonder so many, so many of those shows were so highly thought of. Exactly. I mean, when you've had a couple of cocktails, yeah. why not? It, we're gonna add an ounce of grapefruit juice to this. You know, they're doing this supposedly, and they're going to be doing this more in movie theaters now, which uh, should help the movie industry out, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. Who doesn't enjoy a little libation while you're watching something? Yeah, it can make a bad movie tolerable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little honey. Our director is giving me a, a funny look. Maybe not. <laughs> we won't mention any names of intolerable movies, though. <laughs> we'll be kind. And unlike the original recipe, I like to add a little splash of lemon juice to it, oh, okay. too. Right. Okay. couple of extra glasses here. Thank you very much. You got the double, the double shaking action. <laughs> that, that's the sign of a true professional bartender. Thank you, thank you. Angry, uh, people get angry if they're waiting too long for a drink now. That seems to be counterintuitive. You know, <laughs> you're waiting for a drink, just relax, it'll be there. Exactly. And that is it here. Yeah, just in case they were a little different, you mix them all together and... Exactly. Uh, yeah, just for... Or maybe not. Yeah. 
It's got that old-fashioned cocktail color to it, you know? Mm-hmm. Sort of golden. A lot of, a lot of juice, like a pinkish hue. Mm-hmm. A lot of juice. Yep. All righty. I'm gonna take the fullest one. Sure. Because I can. <laughs> I'll let you pass out the other ones to the crew. Gladly. Actually, you know what? Oh yeah. Yeah. Two of my favorite things, rye and grapefruit juice, right? Great. What could Cheers. go wrong? Cheers. How can you care for yourself through play? So, Jim, first of all, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, we're we're going we're gonna to get you in studio here, but I don't know. Are you, are you drinking anything special? I, I got some uh, good purified water here. Kevin. Okay, well, this is, this is up in Mabel's room, which was made in your honor, you know, because it was a Broadway show in 1917, right? So here, here's a toast to you. Uh, bottoms up, Kevin. <laughs> Yeah, when you first mentioned that drink, speaking of music, I thought you were talking about Mabel. I thought maybe it was Mabel Mercer, because Mabel Mercer was considered to be one of the original great cabaret performers of all time. She was inspired Frank Sinatra and so many other people. And the Cabaret Society in New York is actually named the Mabel Mercer Society after her. Oh, okay. So she's quite... Yeah, quite, quite in, the, in the music world. Yeah, wow. Well, so... I'm going to start out, I'm just going to read um, a short biography of you so our viewers know a little bit more about you. So Jim Jamiro has had an illustrious career in the entertainment business. He created the Disney Channel and as its first president brought it to profitability in two years through a series of innovations including interactive programming and the Disney Channel magazine. Jim was also a pioneer in home video, especially as president of Walt Disney Home Video for six years, where he launched one of the first direct marketing campaigns. Having started his own company, J2 Communications, in 1991, Jim turned around the National Lampoon brand. Among many, many honors, Jim is a voting member of the Motion Picture Academy, which is uh, the organization that uh, sponsors the Oscars every year. What Jim is here to talk to us about is his lifelong love affair with the great American songbook, the music of Cole Porter, Richard Rodgers, Irving Berlin, and so many other legendary composers and lyricists. So I, I met Jim through his pop, popular lecture series that he uh, presents both in, at the Beverly Hills Public Library and I guess at the 92nd Street Y in New York. I, I've never seen you there. It's called Jim Jay's Jukebox. And that is going to lead me to my first question. So, Jim, what sparked your interest in music, and in particular, the, the, the songs from, from that, that great American songbook period? Well, it, it goes back to my teen years. You know, uh, when, when I was a teenager, we, we all loved music. That was the most more normal thing in the world, to love the music of the day. But I, I knew from the time I was in my teens that I had a very special way of hearing and listening to music. I, I just did. And I remember a little incident, uh, which I didn't think much of at the time. Uh, two of my classmates were talking to each other and one asked another about a song. And the other person says, don't, I don't know, ask Jim, he'll know. Now, I'm 13 years old. I didn't understand the significance of that, but wh why did I have that reputation among my classmates that among all of them who love music, th that I somehow heard it in a different way. 
So I spent my entire life uh, in the entertainment business, but loving music at the same time. And, and, uh, and then my first wife uh, passed away in 1995. She was a singer, wonderful singer, uh, by the name of Jody Donovan. I was shut down at the time. I was not interested in dating. I thought maybe it would be interesting to do uh, something about this music. So I actually called the Beverly Hills Public Library and I said, would you be interested in me doing a lecture on music? And they said, yeah, <laughs> you know, like, why, why exactly, <laughs> you know? And, and so I, I did it and they put me in a little room with about six people, a little conference room. And now I'm getting about 150 people a night at that lecture up on cruise ships all around the world. Uh, so it goes back a long way. And while I didn't major in music or, or study music, uh, it's, it's just, it's just, it's just a, an evaluation of music. As far as uh, why I like this kind of music, simply because it's, <laughs> to be judgmental about it, Kevin, it's because it's better than most other music. The, the level of sophistication and quality uh, in this music uh, is really without precedent either before or after, uh, and and you're 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 pretty close on the dates. I, I date the Great American Songbook from about 1915 till about 1960, and and I believe that the music was more sophisticated, uh, but I know that the words were more sophisticated because because I can speak English. I don't write music, but I can speak English. And when I, when you study those lyrics and look at those lyrics, the the craft that goes into those lyrics is absolutely astounding. Uh, and it's 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 an interesting thing because uh, many lyrics today are not artful; they're a little bit sloppy. Uh, and I think it's an interesting contrast because you hear so many young people in the music business today talking about art artists. Well, that's only part of the story. The thing that 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 is maybe even more important in a lot of ways is the craft. If you, if you if you analyze a Cole Porter lyric, the craft that it takes to have three successive triple rhymes, you know, it, it flows off your tongue. But it's really hard to do that. Johnny Mercer, the great lyricist, Johnny Mercer said, "You have to take pains. You have to take pains in order to get this done." And I appreciate that. I, I love language anyway. So. Uh, so what I do in this lecture basically is, is share my passion for this music and help people, even though they already love music, help them elevate their appreciation of the music to another level. And I guess the greatest compliment that I can get from time to time is, gee, I've been listening to this music all of my life, but I never really understood uh, the glory of it, the magnificence of it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a long answer. To yeah, no, 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 no. I, I, I mean, it, it, it's interesting. You, I, if, if my daughter were sitting here next to me, she would go, wait, daddy, he's, he tells me the same thing that, that, you're tell, that you tell me. Because the, the, the command of the English language demonstrated by the Great American Songbook is just as astonishing. It really is. So, but somehow you, you transition from that, that love of music as, as a teenager, you did get into the entertainment and media business. Was that as a result of your love for music, or how did how did that happen? You didn't pursue music, but you pursued entertainment and music. So concurrently with, with that, I, lo I love communications. I, lo I love anything to do with communications. I love public speaking, advertising, radio, television, film, uh, marketing, anything that had to do with one person speaking to another person or one person speaking to a group. I just loved it. So, and, and in particular, uh, mass media. And I remember when I was a senior at Penn State, wanting to be 
a practitioner in radio and television and film, all of the great corporations came to the university uh, to recruit, especially the Pittsburgh corporations, Alcoa, U.S. Steel, Jones and Rockland, you know, they were looking for, I never went to any of those jobs, none, because I knew that what I wanted to do was go to New York and work for CBS. Now, interestingly enough, when I first got interested in media, uh, uh, because I was in high school plays a lot and on the debate team and announced the football games, I thought I wanted to be like you are, you know, in front of the camera. Uh, and I was pretty good at it in my high school where my graduating class had 54 people in it, you know, not a whole lot of competition. Wow. <laughs> then as soon as I got to Penn State, I realized, to be honest with you, I was okay, but I wasn't that good. You know, I wasn't ever going to be, you know, the next Lawrence Olivier on the boards. So I transferred that feeling from getting in front of the camera, getting behind the camera, and then, uh, and then the rest is history. So that during that period, um, during my career uh, at Disney and CBS, my own company, um, I always loved music, but I didn't really do, do that much about it, except for hiring musicians to work on our shows. So they were kind of concurrent loves, as a matter of fact, media and music. It seems to me for a teenager, those are pretty sophisticated uh, self-assessments to make. Um, did you make those on your own? Did you have um, uh, counselors or, or parents guiding you, uh, you know what I'm saying? What was, what was more of that process? Uh, that's a really, really interesting question. Uh, and the answer, the short answer is, 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 is in those early years, no, I didn't. Uh, and the, re the reason I say that is because I was a Broadway the musical theater aficionado. I love musical theater. But my mom and dad didn't take me to musical theater. I have friends who love musical theater and they will say very often, they will say something like, I remember my mom and dad first taking me to a musical comedy in, uh, you know, when I was eight years old. I did not have that experience. Uh, so that I, I, I got that on my own. Now I, I would say that my mother, you know, did love music and I can still remember her little radio in her kitchen in Pittsburgh listening to KDKA was my favorite station. That was a big music station in those days. So, so I, I was on my own uh, uh, for all of that. And then I actually, actually ended up taking my mom and dad to Broadway music. Hey, you got to oh. see this mom and dad. And I'm <laughs> taking them to see shows. Uh, and I got a, a summer job at WFIL in Philadelphia. That's where they did American Bandstand in those days. Uh, uh, in, in, in the summer, between my junior and senior years at Penn State. Well, I was the happiest guy in the world. I was actually working at a big market television station. And I worked for a guy named Bill Mowbray. Uh, Bill Mowbray was a great musicologist, just a, just, just a great one. And he, see, he somehow took me under his wing. I admired him so much and I respected him so much that he would say things to me as, that, that seemed to be an opinion, but I took them as gospel. So that, for example, Bill Mowbray once said to me, you know, the real secret of the Basie band is the sax section. Well, I have taken that as living gospel ever since. I mean, if you talk to me about the Basie band, I'm telling you right now, it's not about Freddie Green plucking on the guitar, it's about the sax section. And then he once said, uh, you know, every note that Hoagie Carmichael ever wrote came out of Bix Spiderbeck's horn, the great cornet player, Bix right, Spiderbeck, right, uh -huh. friend. Mm -hmm. Well, the interesting thing about that, you know, he said that in a very uh, unequivocal way. Every note came out of his horn. Well, it turns out, and I've read many Hoagie 
uh, Carmichael uh, biographies in the inter interim years, intervening years. And it turns out that Hoagie acknowledges the tremendous influence that, Ho that Bix had on, on his music. Mm -hmm. So Bill Mowbray uh, was a great influence. And i just tell you one other story because it's, it's a very interesting personal story. So Bill Mowbray kept saying to me, you know, when I die, Jim, uh, I'm going to give you, I want you to have my records. I want you to have all my records here thousands of big band or hundreds of big band records and uh he finally did pass away he was living in uh, uh, clearwater florida at that time and his wife called me up later and said you know jim he meant what he said he wants you to have these records so i didn't know he wants you to have these records so please well i have a lot of trouble taking pe things from people who have passed away i mean it's really <laughs> i said well, let me can i gene can you keep them for a while he said yeah she said no problem he had a special room for all of his records i don't go in that room you can you can you can stay as you can i'll keep them there as long as you want and finally after about a year i went down to clearwater and packed up all those records which i have uh, in, a, in, a, in a in a cabinet on the other side out of this room so uh, Jim, take a, a maybe a person just coming out of college or, you know, someone, they've been in the military for a few years or maybe more than a few years and now they're transitioning to, to civilian life and they've got this thing that they deeply, deeply love. Maybe it's music, maybe it's something else. What advice would you give them for turning that into a career? Something that they, I mean, I, I suspect in some ways you would be a person who would say, I never worked a day in my life because I was always doing what I loved, right? Yeah. So what, what advice do you have for someone who's in that career transition position who wants to you know, have a career like you had, something they can love? Well, if, if they already love it, they, they've already passed the first test, which is to have passion about something. That would be my first piece of advice, but you've already given that as a premise. And it's, it's a very, very good premise. Uh, I have a couple of practical things to say. Uh, I think you have to be very proactive. You have to be very proactive. Uh, and I'm, and I like, may I tell you a quick story about being proactive? Because it, 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 it could be instructive about how you have to make your own way. I wanted to work for CBS. I was, in, I was getting a graduate degree at Penn State, and I wanted to work for CBS. I wrote them a letter. I devised an idea for a term paper, talked about the internal communication structure of a broadcast station. The premise being was, here's a media company, but how do they communicate with each other within? And to do that, I would have to talk to every uh, department head at that station for a day, and then kind of coordinate how they communicate with each other, be programming and promotion and sales and, and production and so forth. So I wrote them a letter, Jack Schneider, still very much with us, was a general manager at the time. He became very big man at uh, television. Uh, and I said, I want to do this paper. Can I come and talk to you? He said, sure. So I went down there. I met with him in the morning. And then I met with each of those executives through the day. And at the end of the day, they, they did a wrap up. Now, I'm going to tell you something that's unequivocal, Kevin. I didn't think, I didn't hope, but I knew that at the end of that day, I was going to get a job offer. I knew it. That's why I went there. Oh, I had to do the paper anyway, but it was a pretense to get, get in and talk to those people. And I knew it. I knew it. Went through the whole day, Schneider, get it back into Jack Schneider's auto. 
And I remember his first, he says, you've turned up everybody's shirt tails here today. <laughs> Those words, would you like to come and work here this summer? Uh, now, that, that, that's just a little story. But the truth of the matter is that it was my, I, I, it was my proactivity that, that made that happen. I came up with the idea. I sent the letter. I journeyed to Philadelphia. So you, you really have to, so people say, you know, you have to be brave, you have to get lucky. Yeah, but you can make your own breaks. You can create your own world by being proactive. The, the other thing that's a, it's a really knit, but it's important. If you don't know anybody, uh, then use the law of large numbers. You know, if I were trying to get a job in radio and I didn't know anybody, I wouldn't send out 10 resumes. I'd send out 150 resumes. You send out 150 resumes, 100 will get thrown away immediately. 25 more people look at it and say, I'm not interested. 25 more will say, maybe I'm interested, maybe later. And then three might call you and say, come on in for an interview. That's the, called the law of large numbers. So, uh, so make your own way, be, be proactive, spread the net as widely as you can. And finally, I would say, be willing to start small. Somebody was just talking to me about that the other day. They wanted to get in the radio business. And they had this dream you know, about working for a radio station in Chicago. I said, go to Albuquerque, New Mexico, go to Oxnard, California, start small, get some small market experience, get, you know, you know, hone your craft and, and then you can move up from there because, you know, life is long. And if you are willing to pay the price, which is not a bad price to pay by having stepping stones in your life, you can make that time work for you. You know, it's like, like the stock market. If you start early, you know, you can get, you can get rich just by being a normal investor over 60 years. It's just, it's the way it works. But if you want to get rich quick, you're more likely to fall flat on your face. So the, the stepping stones to a career, you know, twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, you got a lot of time, you know, to get to that peak job that you might want in mid, mid, mid age. Uh, so being willing to pay those prices is, is a big deal. Well, that, that's, those are all three fantastic pieces of advice. And, and that actually takes us to the end of the interview. It, it went so fast. But um, Jim, thanks again for, for being on the show. It, terrific, terrific to have you on. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll keep in touch and, and we'll, we'll see you uh, at Jim Jay's, uh, Jim, <laughs> Jim Jay's jukebox. Yeah, that. we got an alliteration there. <laughs> right. we'll, we'll see you so there. My, my, next, my next one, uh, Zoom, is on April 28th, a week from Wednesday. Oh, okay. I've got, I think I've got it in my calendar. So I'll yeah. see you then. Yeah. Sounds great. Thanks. Thanks so much, Jim. Uh, Kevin, I enjoyed it very much. Thanks for having me. That's our show for this week. Thinking back to the advice that Jim gave about finding a job, doing something you love, be proactive. I mean, it's, it's amazing, right, to put together a whole paper and then have the chutzpah to contact somebody in the field and say, I want to talk to all your executives about this. But look, it got him in the door, and we can all do that. And then plan out the steps, right? We're not going to start at the top. We're probably going to start at the bottom. But if we have a plan on how we're going to progress, we can get there. Speaking of guests, if you found your way to wow in one of the realms, go to thewaytowowshow.com and drop us a line. Let us know you'd like to be a guest. Maybe you'll be where Jim was 
sometime further into the season. Courage at all times, my friends. Marie, you're still my belle. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.